0: Nate and Stephanie, thank you so much. As we were singing that song, I couldn't help but uh, think about what it means to, to bow down, uh, to acknowledge the sovereign Lord that we serve. And it's not just about the posture of, of bowing, that's, that's really a, a symbol of, of greater things. Uh, it's recognition of the one to whom we bow down, that he is. The sovereign, the king of the king, the, the, the one who is worthy of worship. It's also a posture of humility and surrender, isn't it? Um, I, and I think we miss some of those things because we're in a uh, culture where we don't have we, a king or a sovereign ruler. Instead, we tend to do what with our leaders? We raise our fists and, and grumble and complain about them. Uh, and, and we miss some of the the tone of the respect, uh, but I I hope that we can set those cultural things aside, and instead that we would uh, recognize because of the Christian culture that we are genuinely and, and intimately part of, and that that should be an inner piece of who we are. That that would drive us to to appropriate worship. So Nate and Stephanie, thank you again. My ho- my heart was just, my mind was just like, uh, I guess just latched on to those, those truths this morning. So thank you so much. Um, we're going to be back in Matthew this week. And uh, so I would invite you to turn t- to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, Claire, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Can you just like shift that chair over or go sit in Kathy's lap, one of the two, so I can see you? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to opt for shifting the chair over. <laughs> Though Kathy, thanks for letting me pick. And Thanks. She was hiding behind Abigail's head and she's like, darting around and I'm like, it's just going to distract me all morning. Abigail, if you move and block her again, we're going to have a, a, a little chat afterwards. It, it didn't work. So your mom gave me permission to correct you, Abigail. So I'm teasing. Um, so Matthew chapter 16, let me give you a couple introductory thoughts before we jump into the text and, and break this apart. Um, as I was reading this and just praying over uh, a couple things, I want to share something that the Lord did in my life a little over a year ago, just as He was refocusing me uh, on on a couple of things. I I read a book called uh, The Pastor as Public Theologian by uh, Kevin Van Hooser and Owen Strand. Uh, It it was a very powerful book that goes back and looks at the role and uh, responsibilities of the pastor and and how historically uh, the pastor was responsible for theology. And in the book, they quote Augustine. And uh, if you know anything about Augustine, he was an early church father, uh, bishop, um, who was, I was trying to think where, I can't remember right now, I just flew the coop. Um, but anyhow, he's a very profound uh, thinker, writer, has an incredible testimony of his conversion from uh, great sin to one of uh, when he recognized the grace of, of God that was extended to him through Christ, great transformation and, and a great leader in the church. Um, so he, he wrote this. And it was very, one, convicting to me as I read this, but it, it, it was also uh, so, I, I, I guess just re- such a deep reminder to me of my responsibilities that I actually printed this up and put it in a frame on the, with the wall outside of my office. It, it's a, a hall that I walk into my office on. And so it's the last frame that I see, and I try to stop and read this and pray this every Sunday morning before I come down to teach and preach. So here's what he said. It is the duty then of the interpreter and teacher of Holy Scripture, the the defender of the true faith and the opponent of error, both to teach what is right and to refute what is wrong, and in the performance of this task, to conciliate the hostile, to rouse the careless, and to tell the ignorant both what is occurring at present and what is probable in the future." I read that and went, what I do is of utmost importance because especially that I read right before COVID really started coming around. But it's reminded me of the great responsibility of teaching and preaching the gospel. And it's that I think the pastor stands in a position that is to evaluate the things of this world and to recognize those things and to awaken the body to what the the call of the gospel is. And why I thought that was important to share this morning is because I feel like Augustine captures the heart of Jesus. And you may say, what? Well, didn't Jesus do those things? Didn't, Didn't he teach the truth? Didn't he stand against the opponents of error? You think about all the times that he corrected people. I, you, you think about this, and we're going to see this especially this morning. I love the, the phrase that, that Augustine says, to conciliate the hostile. There, there are those who are opposed to the gospel. You realize that, right? And we're seeing that more and more in our contemporary era. I, I love this, to rouse the careless. That, that Jesus was constantly dealing with 12 guys And I don't know about you, but I I think that most of those guys were probably older teenagers. And I don't know if you've ever been around a group of older teenage boys, especially, sit around a campfire. It's a lot of nonsense. And and there's probably a lot of carelessness that goes on. But Jesus is trying to, what? Rouse them out of that carelessness and call them towards a greater, higher, eternal purpose. And, And there's no greater cause. And then it says this, it, it's to, to tell the ignorant both what is occurring at present and what is probable in the future. I think we're going to see in this text this morning, especially how Jesus is calling his disciples to an eternal cause, something that, that is important for the future, not just about the present, but it demands a present response. So I want to... Uh, begin with just, just a couple of reminders before we get into the text about a couple other things. As, as I was thinking about this, this text and just mulling over and praying about how this relates to us, I want to remind you of a verse in Ecclesiastes verses, uh, chapter 1 verse 9. It says basically this, there is nothing new under the sun. Now, now I know we all, especially if we're in our you know, midlife or and above, we're, we've kind of lived long enough to recognize the truth that there's nothing new under the sun. Yet, it feels like there's still new things, doesn't it? But, but I want to remind you, because I think when we consider the culture and the context in which we live, we need to recognize that the things that we're facing are not new. These things are issues that have been around for, for as long as mankind has been dealing with things outside of the Garden of Eden, that we, we've continued to wrestle with things like identity crisis, all of the, 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 the sexuality, the, the things that, that are impacting us today, now they're packaged in new ways. But we need to recognize that these world philosophies and things are just the same. Now, in that, I, I want to remind you of a couple things with this. Because there's nothing new under the sun, I think one of the main things that we need to remember is about these major world philosophies that we are facing. They fail to see the need for humility. Humility. They instead try to elevate humanity to a state of equality, but it's not just equality with one another. It's equality with God. And these are anti-biblical positions. We need to remember that because as we've talked about, as we already worshiped, God is transcendent. He's different than us. That's why what I was saying about Nate and and Stephanie leading us in that song about bowing down, it is recognized that we will never be in equality, a position of equality with God. We have to recognize that He is different than us, that He is supreme, that He is sovereign, that His authority and His perfections are such that we can never match those things. But folks, is that what the world is saying at this juncture in time? It's not. They're declaring the exact opposite. World philosophies are trying to displace the Lord. They're they're trying to elevate humanity to the point that we are ruling. And we displace God on His throne, and we become the hierarchy. We we become the one that is sovereign. Sovereign. And we've actually, I think, struggled with this because that becomes our ultimate goal of life, to establish our own selves, our own beliefs, our own priorities, our own values as that which is first. That is not biblical. It's actually anti-biblical. And we need to understand that. And we need to recognize that this is nothing new. It's been occurring for ages past. but, But if we don't go back to the Word of God, then we will stay in this line and we'll stay in conflict with our, within ourselves, with the Lord, and culture will have uh, uh, its way with us so that we will continue to wrestle and struggle. And we won't be satisfied because the truth is those things, the things of this world, they never satisfy. And that's what Jesus says. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, let's look in our Bibles at Matthew chapter 16. We're picking up in this series in Matthew 16 verses 24 through 28. So, let's read together, okay? Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, listen to verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. love to, to watch Jesus teach okay I, I don 't know if you're like me in that sense, but when he starts to, to do certain things there, there's lessons that I just try to learn from him and I, I, I know you go well, that's pretty smart, Matt. I know hey, you know there's a couple of like light bulbs that will click in my brain uh, eventually, but one of those tools, and, and this is where I, I know my wife and my kids they, they get onto me, and you guys as a church have kind of recognized this too. I, I have a hard time asking, like, the right questions. I think I'm asking the right questions. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you're not making any sense. So, so in men's group, Rob's, like, laughing because uh, if, if Danny was in here, Michael knows too, right? They would look at Steve at points and go, would you reshape Matt's question? And at some point, when Steve wasn't there, I was like, okay, I know y'all have permission to ask me to reshape the question. And it's just one of those things. But but why I try to do that right is because Jesus, he was the master at using rhetorical questions. Did did you get that in the text? See, there's this device of rhetorical questions that he uses here. Look at verse 26, okay? He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What, What in the world is Jesus asking there? Why would he ask that kind of rhetorical question? Now, I know it's secondary to what he's actually teaching as far as the, the, the specific factual truth and, and issues, but that rhetorical question, it, it occurs, that first one occurs, and then the second one is much like it, for what reason? Now, I'll, I'll, give me some feedback. Why does he ask those recor- rhetorical questions in that way? Well, let's go ahead and read the second one, give you a second more to think. Or what shall it, a man give in return for his soul? So why is he asked those? What's he conveying? Don't anybody speak at once. Choice, okay. That there's a, a value to our response, good. What else? We don't like rhetorical questions, really, do we? <laughs> Michael? That's it. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah. He, he is trying to, to, in this instance, I think, raise the, the, the disciples' awareness of what they are choosing, what, what, how are they responding, and what they really value. Is it the temporary things of this world, or is it your soul? It, it, it's the dividing line. It, it is the watershed moment. He's saying to them, "What, what is it that you're pursuing?" And, and folks, I would dare say, and let me try to tie this the introductory remarks to, to, together here for, for just a minute. I would dare say that our modern contemporary culture raises everything in this world other than our soul, other than the inward value of man. Everything is external. And, and, and I'm going to give you a little like, hint into some other things I'm going to say in, in a couple minutes, but it's about what we do, it's about what we pursue, it's about what we ultimately like and love more than anything else, but we look at the moment not the eternal things. It's about the temporal things, not the eternal things. And Jesus is asking this rhetorical question, who, and, and it's as if to say, who cares about the temporal? Who cares about the here and now? Because it's an eternal issue. Your soul is at stake. And people are not living as if their souls are at stake. And let me say this very prophetically for just a moment. I think that includes us as believers in a lot of moments that's hard to swallow. Because I think as believers, we got to say, oh, we want to say, no, we, we got this right. We're, we're doing all these things. But here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And, and this is just after Peter has declared, Lord, who else do we have to go to? You are the, the Messiah. We want to follow you. And, and Jesus says, uh, and, and, and Well, it's Jesus asks who people say I am, and Peter's confessed you are the Christ, and, and all those things have just occurred. The disciples are getting it right, but Jesus is still confronting them about what their values are, and he's trying to shape them. He's trying to let them know that the decisions that they are about to make are important and essential for them. So, so let's look at the text, because I think this is, as we kind of unpack the text, all this becomes even more clear. So you guys know that, that I like to get into to some of the technical stuff of the Greek and the, the language, and I, I, hopefully that doesn't ever bore you guys, but, but if it does, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to say it that way, because you know, it's, it's still fun for me, and I think it helps all of us, even if you think, oh, whatever, it still helps you. Okay, so let's look at the, the, the text, and I want to break down a couple of the things that happen with verbs in this. Okay, so let's go look back at verse 24. It says, then Jesus said, or told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. Let's stop right there. That, the, the main verb of this passage that Jesus is kind of using as the forefront about his commands to the disciples, the main verb is the verb would. Now, that is actually an, a, a present active indicative. So that, that means this is what you're, you're dealing with. The word could actually mean like what you want or what you desire. So, so Mark, what you were saying is, is absolutely correct. What are we making the decision to do in our response to the truth of Christ? What would we do? okay? That's what he's getting at. You, you want certain things, and I think the disciples are following him because he's, he's promised to make them fishers of men. They're seeing the hope that the Messiah is going to bring. They know that Christ is, is the Messiah because he's been performing these miracles. They, they want to see his kingdom come about. They want to, to reap all the benefits, but he's still saying this, there's something more for you, and you have to want these things. Now, here's what's interesting. We, we would probably say, you know, if, if anyone would come after me, that that word come has to, to do with action. Now, even though it does have to do with action, it's actually an infinitive. And and I also wish that my grammar friend Gina Ryan was here, but she's homesick today. But does anybody remember what the, the um, I guess, the value or, or the role of a, an infinitive is in grammar? See, this is where I need Gina. Yeah. An infinitive operates as a noun, okay? So, so here's why that's important. It's this idea that Jesus is saying, you want this ability to come. It's like you're desiring an event. Now, what's really important, and this is where the Greek gets so fun and it's so cool, that form of the word come right there as a noun is an aorist tense, which has to do with a, uh, an event that is going to occur with an end in mind, so think about it this way it's about to be uh, begin it's an inception of something that will finish and complete in the end. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying, you're desiring something that begins now that's going to promise something for the future. isn't that the gospel that, that he's begun something good that is going to finish with hope When we don 't have hope prior to Christ, we have hope in Christ. But it's not just a temporal hope, it's an eternal hope. It's resulting in not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom for us where the blessings are innumerable because we will be restored in right relationship, total fellowship, no boundaries, no limits because of the Word of Christ. You hear why this is so valuable? And you hear why this is so different than what the world teaches? The world teaches everything's about here and now, where the message of the gospel is about an eternal hope. So it's a, um, I I think it also emphasizes to me this idea, because if it's about inception, that is, it it points to or leads to the completion, it's ultimately about transformation. Folks, I, I would dare say, and this, when we were in worship this morning, for some reason, this kind of flashed back into my mind through some of the songs. Um, I just reflected back to my own conversion experience. That moment on July 17, 1989, where I was just, just a little over 20, I remember getting out of my bed, and you all have heard me share this, but I remember getting out of my bed and getting on the floor and, and saying to Jesus, I know it was my sin that, that you paid for on the cross. I don't care about anybody else's, and I didn't say it that way but I knew right then it was for my sins, for Matt Warren's sins, that that he paid the penalty. And in that, see, I hoped for transformation. That because of my surrender to Christ and his lordship, that I would not remain the same. That, That through a thankfulness for that sacrifice, through surrendering to him as Lord, he would do a work within me. That yes, it would be External on some ways, that people would see a change, but ultimately would be an internal change that would impact me for a lifetime. And I know that's a lot packed in for a young guy in Christ, but but those things were all present in that moment. Now, was I thinking about all of it all at once? No, but it was there because Christ He promises transformation. And I would dare say that every one of you as a believer longs for that ongoing transformation in your life, that, that you're not ultimately satisfied with where you are, that, that you're here today trying to gain wisdom and insight, and you want to hear the teaching of Jesus so that your life will be transformed. But, but folks, the, the important thing is that means that we have to do what Christ commands because He calls us to, to the inception that's going to complete, be completed by giving us now three commands in the Scripture. Let's look at this together in verse 24. He says, If anyone would come after me, now hear the commands, imperatives, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Those three things are so serious. So, I want to talk about uh, what it means to deny oneself first. It means this, putting Christ in his kingdom first. It should impact the visible nature, and and this was in a commentary, so I'm going to read this because I think it's good. It it should impact the visible nature of one's financial commitments, service to the church and world, and should lead to the rejection of self-centered arrogance and pride. I read that and went, boom, drop the mic, right? It's like, how many of us tend to go, yeah, Lord, I want all these things. But then our self-centeredness and our arrogance or our pride or our finances or our time and service, they, they get reshaped by our values, not the values of the Lord. See, so, so we, 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 we say we want to live with self-denial or in a place of self-denial, but the truth is we do what we desire because that's what the culture says. That's what, see why that's so important? Why, why I'm tying this back into the introductory remarks? Because the culture says, no, displace God as sovereign. You're sovereign, do what you want. That's the culture we live in. And folks, we're in tension because we're in this world that we're called not to be of it. And we've got to be people that answer Jesus' rhetorical question and say, my soul is more valuable than the things of this world. And I want to live a life that denies myself. Remember what Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Matthew? He recorded, Matthew recorded this in, in chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We know that, don't we? We, 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 we would quickly go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Can I ask a really tough question? How are you doing with that? It's one thing to know it. But it's another thing to value that and to pursue the kingdom of God above all else and His righteousness above all else. See, I I think that the the world system tends to put us back in conflict really quickly and and we see the values of the world and it shifts us and we're constantly doing this dance and intention with those things. So, I, I I want to... Remind you of this, because I think this is an invaluable biblical principle that that will help us, okay? Make sure that our values are aligned rightly. We're each created in the image of God. Isn't that good news? We're each created in the image of God. Now, what happens is the, the world, it says that because we're created in the image of God, they want to say, well, we're an into ourselves, we, we, if we're in the image of God, we can elevate self as the priority. They, they take the truth and it gets distorted. Does, does that make sense, what I'm getting at? And what we've got to do is we've, we've got to call foul. That, that, that's false. Because if we get that distorted, then we miss this fact that Jesus is the ultimate reality of perfection. See, he's the one that fulfills the image of God perfectly And that's what demands our worship and obedience to him instead of placing ourselves as supreme. And, And that's what, when we recognize that, we go, yes, I'm created in the image of God, but that's to worship Jesus as the creator, as the one who holds all things together, who, who all things were made for him and by him for his glory, so that we would worship him rightly. If we supplant him in this and say that we as image bearers are, are to be the, the ones at the top of the priority, then we've missed out the great opportunity. And what happens is we end up focusing on the external things instead of the internal things. Does that make sense? Because if we recognize Jesus as the perfection of the image of God, which is what the Scriptures teach, that He is exact representation of God's glory, then what happens is we realize that this is about an internal change for us. It's not about the externals. And then we begin to see that what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 16 is so life-freeing because we stop focusing on the externals, and instead we focus on the internal of who He wants us to be transformed into, because He's transforming us more and more into His likeness all the time, and the external things, though they can help us circumstantially, those aren't the things that are the priorities. The internal, the soul, that's the priority. So, I would remind you this, and I want to ask this in, like, in, in, in a question way too. So let me say this first. Do you realize and, and recognize that all external things are merely trifles compared to the internal things that the Lord wants to do with us? Think about that for just a minute. All of the external things are merely trifles compared to what the Lord wants to do with us internally. To make us like Christ. So, here's the hard question. What are you focused on? What are you focused on? Where are you in that understanding of your pursuit of external things versus internal things? We're going to take a break. Okay? So we're going to have the kids come up. Maya? Maya?
1: because I girls everyone, y'all come on up everyone everyone is welcome and the older siblings too, because this is not a story for just little children Miss Maya cried this week preparing the story because it's from the Bible and the Bible stories are not just for children they're for older siblings and they're for Juliana my helper and they're for everyone that's right you know do you guys like little chicks have you seen them oh my gosh i just love them and last week miss Gracie told us about her chicks and i had no idea honestly that they did stay under the wings of their mothers i don't know where i come from so i googled it and i have some pictures and can you miss julie show us one picture this is what it looks like i know miss maya discovered this this week do you see them like why are why does the mother do that why is she wrapping her wings around keep them sick keep them warm warm, that's right can we see the next one to see the little chicks coming out but I also found out of course because I was in googling and that goes really takes a long time there are other actually birds who do the same can we see the next one I mean seriously it's just adorable it's not chicken chicken. i don't know what that bird is but someone thought it was uh, it looks like a dove someone thought it was a great picture and they draw drew like an art that you can buy of course everything it goes oh you can buy it but there are other birds too who can tell me what this bird is the next bird it's an wow you know look at that mama eagle what do you think is going to happen Big, big, giant. What do you think is going to happen if you try to touch her a little bit? Oh, that's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly what's yeah, going to happen. It mad. <laughs> it's, a it's a lady, but you know what, Sawyer, you're onto something because actually there are male birds. Can we see the next one? There are male oh. birds. What do you think are those black things that are hanging from the body from the, of the mother? Of the Actually, it's the father. The black things that are... Well, yeah, those are the legs of the babies. It's amazing. This is actually of African bird, and that Africa isn't it cool? And it runs in the water, in and it protects the little chicks from. What do you think this animal is in Africa? Exactly, Sawyer. Exactly, I know. And check this out. This word. uh, Oh, I remember the name of the bird is jasana, but it's commonly known as Jesus bird. Seriously. Do you want to see the chicks? The next picture, Miss Julie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, this has a lot to do with what we're going to talk uh, about today. Last week, we it wasn't last week, a couple of weeks ago, we made a. Um, actually, are you Royal or are you Preston? Are you Preston? I can't tell. Oh, you have to give it away. Preston or Royal? Royal, Royal thank you. <laughs> and where's Preston? Oh, okay. All right. That's good. So, well, um, you weren't here when we did this, but uh, we, we made a fortress. And that's because in the Bible, that's right. That's true. In the Bible, it tells us in Psalm ninety-one ten. it says that He, which means God in this case, is our fortress. Listen. And this lesson, my friends, is very, very, very encouraging so it talks about a fortress and the fortress is a really safe place where we can hide and when we keep close to God and we pray and we talk to him we discover this place and it's a good place where fear and worry get replaced with courage I need you to listen buddies I need you to listen that's right and you know what? Outside of this safe place, there are very dangerous things that can happen, and the, including a very uh, like a wicked enemy. Do you guys know the name of God's enemy? Satan. That's true. I don't. We don't know exactly what he looks like, but I'll use this picture. He is like a wicked bird catcher, and he spends his time setting little traps. And thinking of way to capture and destroy, but, but, like a mother bird wrapping her wings around her, her children, her little babies, God wraps himself around his children to protect them from every hidden danger. And you know what? The enemy tries to fill the darkness in with fear but god's children need not fear darkness because we have light what does the bible tell us about the light who is the light god and his son jesus so god's light jesus light goes forth and it helps us in the dark time as a constant reminder in the darkness, cannot put it down. As a constant reminder that if you follow Jesus, if you follow God, you are safe. Did you know that danger may come to your life? But when He does remember that God is our what? God is our Protector. Protector. Exactly. Because it God's command there is a vast army of angels and they wait steady and ready to obey God's command to protect God's children so those who are under God's protection they need not fear and God's power is so great that it transforms God's children into warriors there you go they get transformed into warriors. And now they're ready to face every every danger and have victory over it. And if the enemy sends prowling lions, evil lions in our lives, God will shout their mouth. And if the enemy sends slithering cobras, God will give power to his followers to crush those snakes under his feet Mm -hmm. this is because what do you guys think what does the bible tell us can satan defeat god No. no this is true and you know what one more last thing if you trust in god and if you believe and you talk to him we get to also live with him forever in heaven After we die now you tell me what do you think the Bible says if we talk to God will he answer (laughs) if we talk to God will he answer sorry what do you think if you talk to God will he answer Oliver says yes the Bible tells us that he will answer yeah so if we make God our fortress and we receive his salvation we can live under his protection and be in heaven and we know that you know why we know that because it's in the bible and is the bible truth yes Yes. and also a mama coming and telling that you be, need to be quiet it's also very very truth and real experience so we better get out before we get in trouble and you're welcome to come with us but first check with your dad that if that's okay but if you want to you can come with us because we have some activities prepared there for us but go check with your dad to make sure that's okay Thank you so much, guys. Be encouraged. We are under God's protection. Here you go.
0: Maya, thank you so much. Um, boys are going to be boys, aren't they? <laughs> what would you say? Always. Even into adulthood. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, on behalf of all the boys, old or young, I, I'm sorry, moms, um, if my mom's watching, Mom, I'm sorry, she raised three of us that were 18 or 21 months apart. Uh, it, was, it was bad. We, we know why my mom's crazy. Um, she would tell you that. <laughs> we're the reason. When, when granddaughters came along, she gained sanity again. It was amazing. Um, I, I could tell you stories of some of the things that we did and that does not need to happen today. Um, so, we're, we're looking at now the, the second command that Jesus gives. The first one is to deny ourselves, okay? And the second one, to take up the cross or take up our cross, is not very distinct from that same idea of denying self, but, but it takes things, in my estimation, a second step. And part of that, and, and we're going to see this as we look at the text, it's about the immediacy Uh, of what Jesus is is calling His disciples to. This is not like some way down the road future event. And I think that's where some of us can think, well, I'll live in denial, but I want these things first, then I'm going to live in self-denial later. Jesus is saying, no, you can't wait. His point is that you have to do this now if you're going to experience all that He has to offer. So so let me explain that a little bit. Let's look at the text again and see what what Jesus is getting at. Okay, so He says in verse 24, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Now look at verse 27, okay? So He says, for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So, so Jesus is saying, look, some of you aren't even going to taste death. You're going to observe this, this, the Son of Man and his kingdom being established. That's what the disciples are longing for, right? But they're looking for the wrong kingdom. What, they, what kind of kingdom have they kept looking for? an earthly kingdom, right? One that's going to come in power and authority and uh, overcome or overthrow the Roman rule. That's not what Jesus is getting at. And and I know there's been, I've seen a couple quizzical looks like, how does Jesus uh, express this immediacy? How is his kingdom coming? How are they not going to, 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 to experience death? Well, we got to look ahead just a little bit. This is one of those places where maybe chapter breaks aren't so good. Look at Matthew 17 real quickly and let's see what's going on. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was what? Transfigured before them. And so we, we go through this passage, and what, Jesus, what happens is just in six days after this conversation about denying themselves, taking up the cross, and following him, Jesus' kingdom is verified by the transfiguration. See, none of them have died, but you imagine six days, it's immediate. Jesus knew this was coming and His kingdom is is being further established and they're seeing evidence of the transformation that is occurring in this kingdom. It's not just about the distant future, it is now, it's immediate. His his, uh, fame is being established already through miracles and now again through the transfiguration where He's glorified. And if we look further at this, look at this. Um, we're going to keep reading in chapter 17. He was transfigured before them in verse 2, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He, will, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah has come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did, not, but, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So, so here's the point. Jesus, in this transfiguration, he is... Um, exalted by God the Father, as he says, look, this is my son, as that voice in the cloud proclaims that. This is my son. You need to recognize his calling, his preeminence. So so Jesus then says, look, my time is about to come. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be raised from the dead. At that point, you can tell. But but before that, he said, be quiet, hold this to yourselves. You see, what he's pointing to is the imminence of his suffering. His trial and His suffering and His resurrection that will come. And He's pointing to them saying, when I was talking to you just six days earlier, talking about the need to take up your cross, you will have to suffer. You will have to make decisions. You will have to respond in such a way that it will demand self-sacrifice. It will demand a call that is not satisfied by earthly things. It is a far superior call that will bring impact that is eternal for people. You're being called to that same calling. That's what He's ultimately telling them. What it means to be a fisher of men is not just about the the temporal things. It's about the eternal things. So it's for them to still live in self-sacrifice and and denial of themselves, ultimately with a commitment to follow. Because I started kind of thinking about this. I want to throw a couple thoughts together. Was Jesus looking forward to the cross No, the truth was, he was looking forward to obedience to the Father and the call. But at the same moment, he said, let this cup pass from me. But I want to surrender my will to you, Father. Not my will, but yours be done. And so I'm going to endure this to fulfill the perfect plan of salvation. For us to take up our cross means we we may not want to, but we live in self-denial. And we do it in such a way that honors our Heavenly Father so that our transformation speaks and gives a uh, testimony and declares the goodness of God at work in our lives. And that's not an easy thing. I want to read a statement by James Montgomery Boyce. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers, um, and he was a pastor, so his writings are actually sermons that have been collected. And, and I think why this was so important to me, because I think so many times we can look at these things and these truths, and I could say, well, the, the, Jesus was just talking to His disciples as individuals, but I think this collectively applies to the church. And I think James Montgomery wrote this back in um, the 1990s, if I, if I remember correctly. So again, I want to frame that just a little bit for you to hear what he's describing and realize there's nothing new under the sun. It still applies to us today, and it applies to us as a church. Here's what he says. There is a de- defect even a fatal defect in the life of the church of Christ in the 20th century, a lack of true discipleship. Hang on that for a second. If the defect is a lack of true discipleship, what is Jesus trying to do here with His disciples? He's trying to help them understand, model this, apply this, and you will be effective. But Boyce is saying, there's a defect. It's a lack of true discipleship. So here's what he continues to say For the genuine Christian, discipleship means for forsaking everything to follow Christ. But for many of today's supposed Christians, perhaps the majority, it is the case that while there is much to talk about Christ and even much furious activity that is supposed to be done in his name, there is actually. Very little following of Christ himself. And that means that in some circles, at least, there is very little genuine Christianity. Many who fervently call him Lord, Lord, are not Christians. What is the problem? We do not like this kind of teaching. That's what Boyce concludes. He says further, prosperity, question mark. Yeah. We like prosperity. I become a Christian, I'm going to be blessed. Things are going to be made easy. Things are going to be made right. I'm going to have it easier. That's what prosperity teaches. That's not what Jesus teaches, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, suffer for Him. That's the opposite of prosperity. Now, Don't, don't hear me say we're not going to be blessed. We'll be blessed, but it's not the promise of external blessings, is it? That's not the promise of the gospel. The, the promise of the gospel is internal blessing. It's the values that Jesus asked about in, in those rhetorical questions that we would not lose our soul for the things of this world. Voice continues. Prosperity, question mark? Yes. Victory? We want victory? Yes. But suffering? Death? The cross? We don't like those things. Yet there is no genuine Christianity? without them. That's not a popular message, folks. But that's what Jesus said. And I dare say that most of the churches today are teaching prosperity. They're not teaching that we will have to sacrifice and that there's a cost to following Jesus. And if we want to see transformation, then there's a commitment on our part. And we cannot be about the worldly things only, the temporal things. We have to be about internal and eternal things. He, he can, uh, I, I, as I read that and thought about this, I thought of an example because I was like, where, where do I get this biblical illustration? How many of you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Y'all, y'all remember that account in Acts? What happens with Ananias and Sapphira? Talk, talk back for just a second. Yeah, Rob, that's right. They had sold their land when the church was first starting in Acts, and the church was giving to each other as they saw fit. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they must have had some kind of wealth. They had some land. So they decided to sell their land. And when they took the proceeds of their land, they said, what? Well, we're going to hide some of this stuff. And they were focused on what for, for that moment? But in context of the message, the temporal, they were focused on the earthly things that they'd already in one sense said we want to give up, but they lost sight of that. And because they were lying to the Holy Spirit in that moment, the church was suffering and the Holy Spirit said, no, the church is not going to suffer. This is not isolated to them. It was impacting the body. And so the Holy Spirit, because of them lying to the Holy Spirit, He killed both of them because God... God needed to show that justice needed to occur, and and we could not live in that manner anymore. He was calling them to a greater calling, but they weren't willing to obey. And and I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's going to strike us down. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we have a call to live responsibly with one another in the church to make sure that we are people that are denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and ultimately following Jesus. Jesus. Let me put it in another context. I know y'all know this example, but you remember the account of Jesus being uh, addressed by the rich young ruler. What did the rich young ruler want to experience? What did he want to experience? Remember, he wanted the eternal life. Right, he he knew there's a value that Jesus is bringing. That value is eternal life. And what did Jesus confront him with and tell him? Here's how you uh, get this: sell everything and do what? Give it to the poor and then follow me. Get rid of it, change your priorities, and then experience transformation. And what happened? He left, but how did he leave? He's sad. Why? It's the scriptures say. Because he valued his earthly things more than he valued Christ. Now folks, I'm, I'm going to be very transparent for a minute. We are being called to that same thing. I, I, I will confess, I love stuff. If you don't believe that, walk into my office and look at my bookshelves. What are you laughing at? You encouraged me to get more books for free this weekend. I love books. I do. It, it, There's somewhat maybe of an addiction. There's such a thing. Sherilyn, maybe we need to research that. It, there is counseling for that. Okay. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that yet. Maybe after I finish the PhD work and then I don't have to buy anymore. Um, <laughs> what is the EMDR for that? Is that? What? <laughs> Serious stuff. Um, now, all of us have things, don't we? And, I, I, and I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek. I, I certainly hope those books don't become idols. The truth is, I try to go through them, I try to give them away to people. I, if I don't use them, I try to let them go. I, because if I'm not using them, I don't need to keep them. But, but, the, but all of us have earthly things that we treasure, don't we? But the question is, is it wrong to have those earthly things? Is it wrong? No, it's not. But can I shape it this way? It's wrong if they detract from our ability to serve Christ well by following Him and valuing the eternal things. If those things become a distraction, they're dangerous. And all of us have that temptation. Why? Because the world pushes that. And the tendency is, I think, in in our struggle is for those things to become so valuable to us that they distract us and we don't recognize it and realize it and we don't commit then to serving the Lord because our distraction becomes the priority. And we end up valuing the temporal rather than the eternal. And folks, I'm telling you, I can live in that struggle. I can live in that tension. I I can do right and good things for absolutely the wrong reasons. And you're no different from me. But there's a high calling that, that we would evaluate these things and if those things begin, begin to prevent us from bowing to the Lord in worship and, and in pursuit of Him, then we need to jettison those things from our lives. And we need to evaluate how we would come back and rightly worship the Lord in Denial of self in taking up our cross and following him. Because I think there is actually an order to those things. We can't say, well, we'll follow Christ and then maybe deny and take up the cross. I think those things come in priority by Jesus' order. So let me read uh, a passage to you out of Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. I want you to hear Paul's heart on this. He says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I love that word. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's priority living. It's kingdom priority living. And, And folks, I believe that we are in a season like no other in our church life, in our contemporary era where true believers are going to be marked by by denial of self, taking up their cross, and following Christ. Because if we don't do this, and we're seeing this across all church campuses, people are not, for whatever reason, they're not returning to the church, they're living in ways that, that, uh, in my estimation, with, and my, my um, I guess, contention, not, not an action, but I'm contending that they are, are fearful and they're struggling to return to ministry because of other things that have taken priority in their lives. Folks, I, I had this conversation this morning, and, and I'm going to be real prophetic for just a second. There's a different approach to what's happened in the last year and a half with COVID, from a theological perspective than a medical perspective. You realize that, right? This means yes, still this means no. This means I don't know. There's a difference in what's happened in the last year and a half from a theological perspective than a medical perspective. Does that make sense? So let me give you the the bare bones of this. Theologically, what's going to happen to every one of us We're going to die. The old joke, you pay taxes and you die, right? We're going to die. The medical field predominantly exists to do what with our lives? Prolong it. Thank you, Mark. Is that a bad thing? No, I think that's a good thing. I'm taking some medicine for health issues that I hope will prolong my life. Being very just blunt about that. But here's the problem. Do I think that's going to prolong my life for eternity? That's foolish. No. Do I I still appreciate the medical field? Yes. Okay, But, but here's the other issue. If I have a medical approach only and I don't understand theologically that life is about eternal things and it's only about, and I think that life is only about the temporal things, then the medical field is all I can rest on. And I won't have hope. The only hope is to to stay physically healthy. But, but, but theologically, that's short-sighted. And so, what I've opted to do, and this is just me personally, okay, and maybe for my family and priority living that I've modeled, I've opted to live with a theological approach to the last year and a half. To say God is sovereign. I'm not called to live in fear. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I don't want to get sick, but I know this. The Lord has my days numbered, and He is good, and He doesn't withhold good things from His people. So I can rest by grace through faith in the work of Christ on my behalf and live in confidence. And ultimately that means, yes, I'm concerned about what happens medically, but that is not going to drive my life. That's not going to drive my values or my priorities. Christ is. And I'm going to serve the community by, by as best as I can, trying to keep the doors of the church open, trying to do ministry, because, let me say this real bluntly for a second, I am so grieved over lives lost. I don't want anyone's life lost apart from Christ. But the truth is, if we're only concerned about ministering with physical health and not spiritual health, we've missed the boat in this. And that's my big concern as a pastor, is when pastors are declined or denied visitation privileges and those kind of things in hospitals and with the sick, spiritual aspects have been impacted. The eternal has been impacted for temporal priorities. And we've missed the boat, and our nation, honestly, has been misaligned on this. And and we as pastors, we as church members, we need to say the greatest priority are spiritual things. How does that impact us as a church? I'll be honest, next week we're having a members meeting. Part of the call for us as members is to consider how we will engage and how we will be people that deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Him in the ministry of this church. We have hit a watershed moment, and and if we don't respond rightly to this kind of message, the call of Christ, how will we impact people eternally? That's where we are, folks. And we've got to to recognize there's a, a specific call that Christ has issued, not just for individuals, but for our, us collectively to say, we are called to serve this community. We're called to serve. Let me finish with this passage in, in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit. I love We can stop right there. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. You hear the war that's raging. The spirit, theology, flesh. Here and now. The tangible, the temporal. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Do you hear what Paul is getting at? I think when we become believers... The Holy Spirit is calling us to obedience, to live in ways that that prioritize the eternal, that our values are constantly being called upon to shape for Christ and His kingdom work. But because of the tension of the flesh and the here and now and the temporal, we're at war. And that war prevents us from really doing the things that we want to do in response to the great grace Jesus Christ, to the forgiveness that we've experienced, to the high calling of serving this King who's revealed His kingdom that we know gives us great freedom, that calls us to valuable living. Can I direct you for just a quick second to the, to the sidewalls? They're, they're mirrored, okay? So you can read either one, whichever's easiest. But listen to these values that we have, these things that we have set aside to say, this is what the church provides people you can experience regeneration. You you find that you're received in Christ, where the world tends to reject, where we are refreshed because of the presence of Christ, because of coming together as a body of people. We are refined in Christ. We are redeemed. We are reconciled. We're returned into a right relationship that was marred by sin. We're repaired. I don't know what issues you come into church with today, but I guarantee there's something in your life that needs repairing. Mine too. Praise God. It's found collectively in the church as we come together and minister to one another. We're renewed. We we don't leave here the same. There's joy that comes. That's what renewal speaks to that. It's strength. There's so many things that are packed in that. We're revived. Life is breathed in anew because of Christ. There's there's a reclamation. We're, We're not left where we were. We're restored we're released, that a hurting world that needs the message of Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel, we are released and empowered to share that because as we follow Christ, we give testimony to His goodness. Folks, these things ought to excite us. They ought to inflame a zeal in us that says there's no greater priority in our lives than to live this way. So, as way of response this morning, I want to just ask you to do a couple things. One, if you know that, that there's something in your life that's, that's been hindering you, that, that you've not been living in, like, denying of self, but, but it's just been, like, hanging up, and you go, as Matt was talking, as we were reading the Word, this, the Holy Spirit identified this. this. This is what has taken a priority. You don't have to confess that to me. I'm not a priest, Okay? You, you're a priest in yourselves if you're a believer in Christ. But the Holy Spirit intercedes, and Jesus is interceding. That's the priest that you need to go to. Will you just confess that? Just simply say this, something like this. Lord, I recognize that that has taken priority. I want to confess that to you, and I want to figure out how I live in denial of that. It may be something I need, but at the same time, it's taken a precedence. I want to get that realigned rightly. Will you help me to walk in obedience with that? Maybe I need to receive some counsel about that. We'll provide that for you. Just come and share and we'll we'll walk through how to to do that rightly. So if if that's going on in your life, I want you to do that. Be honest with the Lord. He already knows. But take the moment this morning to confess that to Him. And then second, this is is a long-term peace for us. Will you be praying this week about commitment Christ and His church as we come back and lean into next week's members meeting and we discuss what the Lord has for, our, for the Grove Church and how we're going to move forward from this season where we're we in coming out of the COVID and all this stuff because I think, unfortunately, I think with all the stuff that's happening right now with uh, the, the resurgence of, of cases and all this stuff, there's going to be a lot of doubt. Folks, we don't need a doubt. We need to be confident in Christ. We need to be confident in who we are as His people, and that needs to, to propel us forward above everything else because God is sovereign. He's our Lord, and we respond to Him first and foremost. Okay? So how pray, how do we move forward next, as we meet next week and be considering those things? So let's take just a minute to pray, and then Steph, Stephanie and Nate are going to lead us in a reprise, and then I just have one quick word after the reprise, okay? Let's, let's pray. Fathers, we prayed earlier, You're a good, good Father. You see us in our need, and you meet us where we are. Lord, it's, it's not trite, it's true that we can't climb up to you. We can't make our way to you, but through Jesus, he, he descended from heaven and became a man in the flesh. and He took on our sin and our shame and our guilt so that we might have life. And Lord, let us not cling to the things of this earth, but instead let us cling to Christ, for He alone is worthy. Let us bow our hearts. Lord, let us bend the whole demeanor of our lives to serving You, who is sovereign, who is Lord, who alone is worthy of worship. And as we do that, we will be blessed. And it may not be with victories here on this earth. Lord, it may not be with temporal things. That's okay, because we know that eternity matters in a far greater way. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you this morning. Lord, as your Spirit uh, has spoken to us, I pray that we just be obedient. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you again for Jesus. We bless you in His name. Amen.